Welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coldsploitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, earlier. Um, you know, as you know, it was very recently St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I can't do an Irish accent to save my life, even though I am Irish. Um, the only time I no, can do No, you're American. It, well, yes and no. I'm American. <laughs> I have Irish descent in me. Irish and Scottish. I believe my name actually, Ryan, is Scottish. But uh, I do have... I believe he was a baseball player. That's true as well. <laughs> yes, he was. And was was he of Scottish descent? Ryan Sandberg? Uh, I have no idea. We'll have to do a DNA test. Find <laughs> out. Maybe we're related. Maybe there's... They, uh, maybe at Cooperstown they have like a strand of hair of his. Yeah. Yeah. And we can test it, figure mm-hmm. out. First of all, I just want to know if I'm related. There can't be two Ryans well, he, in the world without being related. Well, he didn't play second base, so. That's true. Yeah. I was a pitcher. But anyway, because of St. Patrick's Day, um, we decided that we are going to continue the tradition, which we've done every year since we started Blood and Black Rum Podcast, and uh, keep going with Leprechaun, the, the series, which. Abomination yeah, of a film uh, franchise. I mean. For the most part, if you've listened to our previous episodes on Leprechaun films, Leprechaun 1 and 2, you know that we don't really enjoy them all that much. Um, Leprechaun 1, I think probably one, it was one of our first episodes, and I know you hated it at the time. That was like one that you significantly hated, really <laughs> had a difficult time getting through it. Part of that was because of the way that we watched it. It was kind of annoying. We had kept buffering. But um, also, you know, it was just a, an experience that is not very good. It's not very – it's not super bad. It's just really in the middle. And that makes for a very uninteresting film. It's hard to get into. Although it does have Jennifer Aniston as her first film role. And unfortunately, not one where she takes off her top. So, I, Well, I mean uh... – one does she do that anywhere? No, she she does not. But I'm saying, you know, as as a um, no, I mean, like, like in horror films, not, generally your first oh. fi- horror film to get into that role, you're probably going to take your top off. Well, it would have been great if she took her top off in Horrible Bosses. True, true. I haven't seen Horrible Bosses, but I've seen like clips of it on YouTube. One, it looks hilarious, and. Two, it, you wish Jennifer Aniston took her top off. She's fucking amazingly hot in that. Have you seen her in that? I have, yeah. 
or you know, great. No, no other words need to be said. Yeah, big yeah. fan of yeah, big fan of that work. Um, <laughs> Leprechaun Two we did last year, and while that's not a good film and it's not really enjoyable for the most part, it does have its the, moments. The cameo that's not really a cameo because he wasn't famous yet. Yep. Michael uh, McDonald. Yep. Not and, not the singer. <laughs> not, no, not the singer. Well, from but, Mad TV fame. But but does get a great cameo in there. Oh, he's And cool. pretty much elevates that film from, like, really a, a don't watch to uh, you should see it. Just because of his, um, I, you know what I would call his cameo in that? Well, like I said, it's not technically a cameo because he wasn't famous yet. And really, I guess you, saying the word famous is kind of a stretch. Yeah, Mad TV famous don't, don't really. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, I would say his performance now, Goldblumian. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I agree with that. I wish he was in Leprechaun 3, because that would have elevated this film even more anyway. Yeah, well, instead we got a racist Apu-type uh, <laughs> yeah. character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, to explain the intro a little bit, uh, this film, you might think from, from the intro that the music is from this film. If you've seen the film. If you've seen the film. And unfortunately, it is not. It is from the critically acclaimed rare game, Banjo-Kazooie. If you're a 90s child like we are, you have probably spent many of hours playing Banjo-Kazooie. And finding hidden things in it. Did it have hidden things? I really didn't play it that much, so. Oh, uh, it, it was not really. It wasn't like a Mario, like, find the hidden. It was more, it was, it was Mar- it's Mario 64, but. Ask, yeah. Well, it's literally the same pl- concept. Instead of collecting stars, you're collecting jiggies. Um, nah, yeah. nah, 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 See, I did another, play another, a little bit. Another, another 90s reference right there. I remember, here, here's a 90s reference. I remember playing a demo of it in Video World, <laughs> <laughs> which most people probably, you know, because Video World was, was a, a local local thing. But yeah, it was our local rent VHS rental store. I remember for a time they had... Uh, video games that you could demo there, like you know how they had the like the consoles that mm. sat in the in the aisles. Um, yeah, they had a Banjo Kazooie demo there. Renting consoles for like the weekend if you right, didn't yep, have it. Yep. Um, which I can't even fathom thinking about now how much it would cost rent like a console. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> You're I. I'm sure you'd have to sign like 26 pages of legal requirements. <laughs> nah, not in the night. No, not no, in not night. in the not not in the 90s. But you said how you can't fathom how much it would cost now. I'm sure now you'd have to sign like, well, I will not, you know, jailbreak this device. I, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, will, I will not drop the device. I will not I, use it for illegal purposes. Yeah, I will not watch porn on this <laughs> device. Well, then what's the point? <laughs> That's right. That's right. But uh, no, but it's from yeah the. The opening is Gruntilda's theme uh, from Gruntilda's Lair, the overworld in uh, Banjo-Kazooie. And it's, you know, when we were watching this movie, uh, the soundtrack literally sounds like it's literally like a Banjo-Kazooie, like it's Banjo-Kazooie's soundtrack. It's literally like as if Grant Kirkhope, before he was working at Rare, was doing, you know, the music for Leprechaun 3, except, you know... It doesn't get that nice, you know, 64-bit, you know, sound processing to make it, you know, really, you know, memorable. Yeah, now this, <laughs> I mean, this this soundtrack has more of a, like, a pan flute style thing that's, like, kind, almost offensively Irish. 
You know, in like more, the, I would say almost like Renaissance fair. Yeah. As, but instead of a loot, they just have like a right. They couldn't afford a loot because of yeah. the budget, so they just have some guy on a guitar playing, and it's like And I would say this is you know Leprechaun Three's music is like an extension of Leprechaun Two, except Leprechaun Two had more of a '90s flair to it. Early '90s, yeah, early '90s flair. And if you I watch, think- and if you watch, listen, not watch because we're not a video podcast yet, but. If you listen to that episode, that intro had that great, oh, that amazing 90s, like, stereotypical rock song when our protagonist, I can't remember his fucking name, because who the, because, I have no idea, because who the fuck cares? I don't remember, it's yeah. a year ago. Yeah, so who the fuck cares, but when he's, like, down the dumps, he goes to lie and ban you, he's trying, din, 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 din. it's not appropriate, No, nope. it's, you know, very, very stereo- 90s. yeah, stereotypical, but it's great, it's great, loved it, that was like the, that was a, that's the second highlight of that film. Yeah. Because honestly, looking back on the retrospective of this uh, series that we've been doing, um, I can remember Leprechaun 1 pretty good. Character names, no. But I'm never really good at character names. Um, Leprechaun 1, I can remember very well. Sure. Um, but Leprechaun 2, I just remember... It, to, Halloween tour type thing and Leprechaun's trying to get married. Well, if you, yeah, and actually that kind of segues pretty well into Leprechaun 3, too, because Leprechaun 3 has a very similar premise to the Leprechaun 2 in that there is a male protagonist, a female protagonist, they kind of come together and they're, they're around to fight the Leprechaun off. And that's really, I think Leprechaun 3 expands on that, but the initial plot line of Leprechaun 3 is really like the exact same thing. It even has a blonde chick. As its anti, as its protagonist, I mean, um, but it's she's hotter, but she's hotter in this one for sure. <laughs> um, in the, in the, this is one of those films, and especially in the '90s, where it was like, we need a sequel. We need a sequel that's a little bit different. Let's set it in a weird location. Let's set it in Vegas. You know what? And I, I, well, I was gonna say, if we wanted to go the stereotypical route, but we're a better <laughs> show than that. Much better show. We would have had Viva Las Vegas, you know. That'd probably get our yeah. episode pulled down a heartbeat, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, this this but, is a, a we we were. It's funny because it's set in Vegas because it's also known not just Leprechaun Three but Leprechaun Three in Vegas. Um, it's probably why the the next three ones are Leprechaun in something, right? Yeah, it, it became a thing. Leprechaun <laughs> um, in something. Leprechaun in space, Leprechaun in the hood, Leprechaun in a young boy. I, <laughs> but no, like so. But like we were, th- I was, we were thinking about it. And like throughout the film, I was just randomly shouting out like a Tourette's patient. Random movies from the '90s set in Vegas. Yeah. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Bam, yep. there's one. Vegas Vacation. That's two. The ultimate Vegas film. That's uh, yeah. And you had asked in a <laughs> Facebook post which one's better. I think you know now, yeah. Mr. Papa Giorgio. <laughs> it's it's Vegas Vacation. Um, Flintstones 2, Viva Rock Vegas, yo. Yep. A shit ton. So this it's literally like a, a gimmick from the 90s. Like, what can we do? I'm not going to like, cause I said casino, but casino doesn't count because yeah, it's set in. It's kind of a, you know, kind of a cheat on that one. Because well, it's, it's, literally, it's literally about Vegas yeah. and casinos. Like this one. What's let's the bu- say, yeah, let's say, say what- it wasn't set in Vegas. What really changes about it besides 
having the glitz and glamour of the city. Nothing. You know, they could have shot it in San Diego and had San Diego city life, or they could have shot it in Atlantic City. As I say, that's what they should have done. Well, we can't. We <laughs> didn't have the budget to go to Vegas, so where'd we go? We went to Atlantic City. Well, literally, it, the, the, we went to the Trump co- Casino. I mean, literally, this film though d- technically is using a lot of stock footage to show that it's in Vegas because the rest of it is probably on a soundstage. So, for the most, oh, part... you can tell the Lucky Shamrock. Yeah, the Lucky Shamrock. I mean, like we're not even talking Caesar's Palace, and there's even a joke in the film that. They they wish they were at Caesar's Palace. It's like, yeah, we can tell. We can tell, buddy. <laughs> you wish you were at Caesar's Palace, but the budget was $2 million, so that was out of the question. You couldn't rent Caesar's Palace. It would have been better if they um just green screen it. Roll with it. Make it. They, you already know you're a cheap and cheesy film, and that's what you're going for. Then roll with it. Make it like green screen in front of like walking from like the MGM casino, well, you know? It, that that op- some of the some parts of like the opening part of the film where Leprechaun is walking around mm. Las Vegas, it does kind of scream like green screen because he doesn't really interact with most things. He kind of just like walks up to a building and is like, "Hey, look at that thing! You know that's a Las Vegas staple. Check that out! You know it. It almost could be. I don't know. <laughs> like in some parts, he is interacting with the crowd, so potentially yeah, not. I don't, yeah, I don't think. I don't think it was, but. You're, you're right, it could have been. You know, they could have easily just saved a bunch of money and not I mean, flown anybody. I it was not Vegas. like it's expensive to go to Vegas. No, that's true. It's while it's, it's, it's kind of their calling card. Yeah, it's you know, like, like you come, to Vegas, come to Vegas, the cheap, fuck a prostitute. The cheap fun, it's legal there. Fuck well, a prostitute. Well, not there, but like outside. Similar. Keep that secret in Las Vegas, save on divorce fees. Or, you know, go to Taiwan and, or Thailand and <laughs> do that and <laughs> everybody's bound to secrecy somewhat literally. <laughs> Uh yeah, so <laughs> it's it's, it's just ah, uh, I I it's, I just this film. Let's leave it at that for this film. Honey, I blew up the baby. That's another yeah. one I mentioned. That's in set in Vegas at the end. Blew up the baby? Was it? Yes, honey, I blew up the baby. After honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I blew up the baby. <laughs> gotcha. Because instead of making them small. Rick Moranis makes his baby, which wasn't in the first one, but now they got a baby, blows it up to uh <laughs> to grow. And it's he's... funny how that thing happens. Sometimes you just get a baby. And it's like somebody drops a baby off yeah. and you're like, This is my baby. And you now. know what? I don't think he was in the third one either. Not Rick Moranis, but the baby. <laughs> Honey, I shrunk ourselves. I don't I don't think he was I don't in know that why one. you have such a encyclopedic knowledge of the honey I shrunk or blew up the... And then there was the TV series on Disney. That's... Did not have Rick Moranis. Well, yeah. Rick Moranis, after that, you kind of kind of quit acting, I think, I know, right? but Honey, I think Honey, I um, shrunk ourselves, I think. This is getting a little off tangent, but it's yeah. a little fun little discussion. I think... Because who knows how our, much we can... listeners uh, like that. How, who knows how much you can get out of Leprechaun 3, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, I think Honey, I shrunk ourselves, I think, came out in like 2000 or 2001. Yeah. Which I thought he was done acting by then, but... You got me. I really don't know. I didn't follow it after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, it's not like I went out and... You know like, what? I you found know, it. It was like, something like my parents rented on VHS, yeah. and it's like, here you go. The most I know about that franchise is the uh, 3D experience that you had at like uh, MGM or Universal or whatever. No, well, I've never been on vacation in my life before, so I wouldn't... Rats think tickled my feet in that ride, okay? <laughs> I remember it very well. All right, let's let's take a break from talking about Leprechaun Three because God knows how much we'll actually get out of the rest of it. 
and we'll talk about the beer that we've got on the show today. Because uh, we'll give you a hint. It's from Ireland. Yes, we're continuing the Ireland experience. <laughs> I'm not so good at it. I understand <laughs> it'll be a running joke. We'll we'll go with it. Uh, <laughs> um, we do have Guinness on the show today. The uh, I think last year we did do the Guinness pack from last year, which was a slightly different pack where they. Um, the West India. Yeah, they they India there was a whatever. West India stout and um, I don't remember the other one. To yeah, be honest I'll with you, I, uh, I I can't <laughs> I can't quite remember what the other one was. Um, but we did do that last year for our St. Patty's Day episode when we did Leprechaun Two, and we we'll continue the tradition this year because Guinness has a new pack out and. Uh, Pretty much all new beers that I've never tried before, so that's that's a plus. Except for me. one, yeah, for except one, which is their best one. So definitely a plus. Um, what what are they calling this pack officially? Do you remember? Um, it just says the two hundred two hundredth anniversary uh, pack. So it's the- which to be honest with you, um, I thought it was just going to be twelve of the. The two hundredth anniversary. Yeah, because I was just looking for a six pack of it, but I didn't. And I grabbed it, and I was like, I couldn't find a six pack. I'm like, all right, fine, fuck it, I'll pony up and get the twelve pack. Yeah. And um, when I got in the car, I looked, and I saw they had four beers. I'm like, oh, it's an, uh, it's actually a variety pack. Yeah. So traditionally, this is the big pull for this pack is the Guinness two hundredth anniversary export stout, which. Is supposed to commemorate 200 years in America, not 200 years making Guinness, because I'm imagining it stems back further than that in Ireland. I think 1758. Um, 1759. Yeah, 1759. Wow, ain't that close on that? But 200 years in America uh, is the the, uh, commemorative event. So they're really emphasizing the 200th anniversary expert stout. And so that's what we'll cover primarily on this show. Um, so what do you think of the 200th anniversary expert stout? How different is it from the regular Guinness stout that we have in America right now? Regular Guinness draft. That's right. Or as you were saying, drop, drop. Yeah. Well, you're an American. Yeah. Say draft. Um, I like it. Uh, to be honest with you, I used to be a very big Guinness supporter. Very big. It's definitely a gateway beer into stouts. Obviously, because it's in America when you think of stout, it's Guinness because mm-hmm. it's the only it's the one mainstream stout. Um, though it's different just because the nitro widget really makes it a <clears throat> really different stout compared to. A typical stout. Well, like, I would say it's like the creamiest beer that I can think of. Even even now, not I, really even stout. Like I mean, right. I, I mean, just like kind of like in color because it's so like it's amazing too. Like people, a lot of people think like when you drink a Guinness, like oh, it's so dark and heavy. But like once you get into like more stouts and porters, like you've had like these other Guinness stouts, like a Founders Breakfast Stout or Canadian Breakfast Stout. Um, Another one off the top of my head, like I just had Almagang's candy stout on tap, not you know. And when we went, we're out on St. Patrick's Day. I was drinking their uh, coffee stout. Yep. Um, you know, after you drink like beers, like stouts like that, and porters like that, and then you go to like back to like regular Guinness draft, you're like, wow. It that, seems light in comparison. For sure. Very light. Yes. 
drinkable, you know, very, you know, easy to, because it's also got a really low ABV. I think it's only like 4.2 for just straight Guinness draft. Uh, five, I believe. Five is the, the regular Guinness I could have draft. swore it was even lower than Perhaps, that. Perhaps, maybe. I know that the um, original, which we'll talk about in a second, does have the 4.2%. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Guinness as a draft, the regular straight Guinness that we get in America is drinkable for sure a good um it's literally something like like after i've like experienced other stouts it's something i just don't go to yeah it's, it's, if i'm at a bar and i really want like a stout then sure. i will get a guinness because if that keg again like there is actually nothing like a, a guinness straight from the tap poured right and from a fresh keg it's a very beautiful beer to enjoy from yeah. you know yeah agreed um, agreed I, I just don't really it's not really something I care for. Um just drinking out of the can or even the bottle, to be honest with you. Um and like I said, because it is kind of such a lighter bodied stout compared to like all these other beers, it's yeah, it's got like the nice maltiness to it and a nice sweetness and a creaminess because of the nitro widget, which is a brilliant idea. It's just it's just something I just don't really, my palate, I just, I'm not really, I really just have to be in the mood for. Because like I said, if I want a stout, like, one that comes to mind instantly is like a nice breakfast stout. Like, oh yeah, that's what I want. Or like Brown's oatmeal stout. You know, something like hearty and heavy. Like, when I really want a stout, I really do want like a, a heavier stout. Not necessarily an imperial stout, because those get up, you know, really high in alcohol and you're kind of... I think it becomes really dangerous because, like, the notes of the beer get kind of can can be overwhelmed by the alcohol content. So it's I don't, like I said, it's a beer I like, but it's something a beer that I really enjoyed, but it's just waned. Like I, I underappreciate it now. I can I can yeah, I agree. I, I feel the same way. It's a gateway beer. Then you get into some some better hardier stouts. But it's okay to come back to. Like I'm fine coming back to Guinness. I don't have any problems with drinking Guinness. I think it's a really good, like gateway beer. And you know, if there's nothing else on tap, I'm I'm not opposed to getting no. Guinness. Whereas you know, if there was only like the choice between like Coors Light or Bud Light, I probably wouldn't choose either. Be like, I'll take water. <laughs> it's I'd effectively probably, the same thing. Well, if I really wanted beer, I'd get a Coors Light. I guess, but uh, but. I would say like the Guinness draft is is pretty good. Now, when Guinness tries to experiment with their weird stuff, the stuff that they don't, they just don't do very well. Or it's out of their wheelhouse. Do that's out of their wheelhouse. It gets weird. It's and like it, it's like when Amagang, our lovely you know local Belgian brewer, and they released a Nirvana IPA. It's right. Like, it's like it's like it's okay. It's you know it's an IPA, but it's like this. Stick to the Belgian beers. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something that you generally would do, and and it definitely tastes like it's outside of your natural scope. And I'll, I think that that's the case with Guinness when they try things like the Black Lager. Oh, that's probably, to be honest with you, their, their Black Lager, which was their first one, at least around like the, here. The first try. Mainstream to kind of, like, do something different. And I'm, you know, I'm not counting Harp or, you know, Smithwick's and... Yeah. Because, you know, those are mainstays in the Guinness, you know, lineup. But when they tried the Black Lager, that was one of the first beers. Actually, that came out when I was, like, 21. Because I remember I got home from college and it just came out, and I'm like, I really want to try it. I tried it, and I remember being so underwhelmed. Like, this is, uh, weird. Right. 
and I didn't really care for it. I'm like, well, that was a waste of like $12, and I never got it again. And to be honest with you, once you've had Saranax, you know, Black Forest, there's not really a Schwartz beer that you should either really go out of your way to try. That's... Yeah. And New, New Belgium's, what is it, 1554? You've had that recently, because I saw I did. It. I think it's pretty good, actually, but... No, I know, because we, we reviewed it on the podcast, so yeah. I bought that pack, where it's like, you're supposed, technically supposed to mix and manage. I was like, well, didn't know that. I just, just, just drank them, you know, just... But... Yeah. That was pretty good, but, like, I would say the... The Saranac one is the... The, the Black Forest the is one of the best Schwartz beers. That's you, the level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think... That my, but not my, only that, we have done, too, the Irish Wheat, which is their Hefeweizen. The yep. Abomination. The Rye Pale Ale. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, right, yeah. The Nitro IPA, again... Not bad, but not... I didn't care for it Not, at like, all. a right home to mom about. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, didn't, I, I know for a fact that I'm like that one. But, yeah, it's like... I um, they're just weird, but like, and I think when they stick to the st- like stouts and porters, they do really good. Like their foreign extra stout is one of the best stouts I've ever had in my life. Right. It's literally, and that's in this pack, but we're not having that because I'm saving that for myself <laughs> to like you know for me time. Yeah. Uh, maybe get a pipe and sit by the fire and, and you know enjoy. Yeah, I, mean, I I think their foreign extra stout is one of their best. Their extra stout, I used to really is, like. It's quite good, but it's not. good, but it's it has especially after the foreign extra stout. Because I remember when the first time I had extra stout, because that's like more like a regular stout, um, and how it is. I remember the first time I had it, be like, this is great, this is amazing. But now it's like it's good, but it's you know very comparable to other stouts. But I still yeah. say the foreign extra stout's just really good, a marvel to behold. It's worth every penny. Like if it's twenty bucks for a four pack, you're getting your money's worth. It's that good. And then I would say, like, you know, whenever they do some of their variations on their stouts, like the West Indies stout, um, they do a good job with it. I wouldn't say that they, you know, it's it's nothing that you should skip. It's it's a good style, and, you know, it's not like their other gimmicky beers. So when we're talking about the 200th anniversary stout, I think that it's not a gimmicky beer. It's definitely something that is a variation on their normal stout that... They add a couple, like, some more roasted malts to it. Um, And now we're getting into a gray area where it's hard to describe and discern the differences between minute stout changes. So we're going to do the best that we can because we had three different ones today. Um, The 200th anniversary stout has a... Heavier malt presence than the regular Guinness, the one that you get on, you know, draft in America. And none of these have nitro in it, too, so. Exactly. So they're not as, like, what you think of as the creaminess of a regular Guinness draft. The 200th anniversary style is definitely uh, roasty, malty, um, has a slightly sweet presence on the tongue, uh, which then fades somewhat to the back. And I think that's probably the best encapsulation of what that beer does. I think it's a good beer. Um, I It's definitely not as good as the Foreign Extra Stout. Um, and I don't think that it's as good as some of the other beers in this pack that we're going to talk about. I think before we get to the best one, because I think we're pretty much agreed on how we kind of rank these. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I would say that, yeah, the 200th anniversary is the middle road one. I do think it's a pretty decent stout. It's definitely not... 
and he, like as you said, right to write home about. But I think it's really good though. I mean, it's a very acceptable stout. Um, I can't really describe it any better um, taste profile wise than you did because you kind of, you basically hit the hammer yeah. on the nail for that on me. Um, I would say the bottom ones they're Antwerp stout. Yep, the Antwerp and stout, um, which is a higher alcohol. Stout. Yeah, it's eight percent, eight percent, which is surprising because most of Guinness's brews are between like four point two and six. And the two hundredth anniversary is a six. Yep, that's a six one. Um, yep. The Antwerp is basically like the beer that we both think is the best out of the pack, but amped amped up, and it makes sense because it's double the alcohol. Um, so everything and the taste wise is doubled. It's got a very malty. Body very, to it, very heavy malt right at the beginning of it. You get slammed very, bre- you know, malt. yeah, very bready. And something to note too is none of these stouts have like notes of really coffee, no, or anything like that. Chocolate, it's, maybe chocolate, but a little like, bit of chocolate, but not really anything like, like an or like oaty, nothing like an oatmeal stout or like a breakfast stout. It's very, just very bread. It is bready, like with its maltiness. And the Antwerp one is really bready. But at the same time, because it's got that extra oomph, that slight sweetness that you get with the 200th anniversary is amped up in that. So the back, the back end on the palate, at least for me, when I drink that Antwerp style, it's pretty damn sweet, actually. Yeah. You get a very bitter, bready taste to begin with, heavy body, and then at the back end, you get like, mm, it's a really sweet taste, and it lingers. The biggest problem with the Antwerpen is that as you get through the bottle, even at just 11.2 ounces... Um, Not 12. Yeah, right. The sweetness <laughs> becomes almost overwhelming. And I'll use my favorite term here. Cloying. It becomes cloying. <laughs> That's right. It does. It becomes... Can we, can we every time you use cloying, have like a, dro- a drop of <laughs> from like Pee Wee's Playhouse? Like, like, ah! <laughs> No, I do use that. I do use it quite a bit to. You actually things, haven't used it in quite a few. That's ep- true. We haven't had anything cloying on the show, so no. But the Antwerp and Stout, I believe, is just a little bit too sweet because of all of that, like upfront roasted malt, and then the back end is very sweet. So you're right; it lingers, and as it lingers, and as you get through the the beer, it becomes like an overwhelming sweetness that doesn't dissipate and it doesn't really pair well with like the. The front, yeah. Not like I said, it's not a bad stout. No, I do enjoy it, but it, it just—it's really odd. It's like, like I think the best comparison again. It's not the same style of beer, but the rye pale ale. I remember out of all of them because I remember the, like the we didn't mention the American Blonde. I hated. I didn't like the Irish wheat. I didn't like the nitro, but in the black lager, which we didn't do on here because it's ten years old now. But the when we did the rye, I just remember being like. Is so like confused on how I should feel about because like I love rye beers, but it's like it's had like the rye bitter pepperiness, but then like a weird sweet aftertaste. And it's like this doesn't go together. This yeah. is weird. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean I it's off putting. That's the problem with the Antwerpen is that as you get through it, that sweetness at the back end really be- becomes to get overwhelming. And I don't even think it's supposed to be like a dessert, like a d- dessert stout, like something like like yeah. oh after you're done. Eating a nice steak and potatoes and, you know, pan-fried gr- green beans. You're going to sit down with some cheesecake and an Antwerp and stout. I mean, yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. Well, well, we saved the best for last. The spectacular Guinness original, which is... Which you originally thought was just, just plain old Guinness. I did, when I read it, yeah, I was just like, oh, 
regular, regular <laughs> Guinness, you know, as they would generally put in a pack. But no, this is the Guinness original. This is what um, would be considered the beer that they drink in, that served in Ireland and Europe. Um, they still sell there. Yeah. This is the first time being apparently introduced in America. It's really, because the the line between what we get in America and what we get in Europe is is kind of um, vague and convoluted. Why, though? Yeah. Something I don't get why. So, because... This is a good stout. Why is has this until taken until twenty fucking eighteen to finally be introduced to America? It's a good question, especially and, with like all the other offshoots of beer that they do. It's like you might as well put them out. Like, how many people around in America are running out and buying harp? Right. I guarantee, can goddamn guarantee you, not uh, a lot of people. Expensive for one thing, for a lager. I know, but and not only that, like if you're paying for an ex, you know, an export logger from Europe, there's much you got much better than Harp. You have, you know, Heineken, Carlsberg, right? Pilsner, Urkel. Even the more confusing things about the Guinness Original is that both Guinness Draft and Guinness Original and Guinness uh, Original Extra Stout are all slightly different, and they all have slightly different. Um, alcohol contents in different countries. So I even I was even reading that the Guinness original extra stout has a different alcohol content like in Africa than the one they brew well, here. Well it's the same thing too, like the foreign extra. They have like different versions of it. Gets it gets very for, confusing. For, for different like continents. Like in Europe yeah. it's got a different alcohol content. Like Africa it's got different yeah. alcohol which, content. Which one's the best one? Which I don't know if it has to do something with like maybe like alcohol loss. I know like if um in like Texas, it, like if something's over a certain percent in that ABV, it's not a it's not like a lager, it's nail. Like it has like a different classification. Which doesn't make sense which even, it's not the classification. Yeah, but. well they're not going by like you know, <laughs> you know technical brewing laws that's like something they just have set up like if it's at like this it's a nail if it's at this it's like you know regular hmm you said i i don't make laws interesting yeah well the guinness original that we have is the 4.2 percent. that's one that they brew in europe by the way i love the simplicity of the label on it just a plain black and white label looks like somebody brewed it in their basement popped the label on i know this is this is classier because it's also got <laughs> it's, it's also got the the Sir, signature. The Sir Arthur Guinness, little, you know. Yeah. Well, I got to say that if Guinness was served like this as Guinness Original in America, I would be way more want to get it. Yeah. This is a very, I mean, it's, it's got a nice malt body, yep. malt forward. It, it, as all, as all Guinness. It is malt forward, sure. Yep. But it does have a slight sweetness. And I do mean slight. That back end is very, like, like kind of like a kiss of like a little it's, little, it's little a, peck on your palate. It's of, a kiss of, sweet, of sweetness this. that dissolves into dryness. Yes, and I like it's very that. quick, like kind yeah. of like a wine. I would yeah, kind yeah, of like exactly. describe like yeah. that, the, the, that level of dryness to the sweetness. So it's it's just like watch. I'm gonna take a sip right now. Yeah, it's like this would be, but it's perfect. I think it's it's, the, it's a perfect like if you're at a bar and you don't want to drink like a normal beer and you want like something kind of heavier this is a perfect bar uh, uh beer to drink like a stout to drink at a bar if you that's what you want a stout because it's just it's only 4.2 abv so it's very light it's very sessionable apparently too guinness is one of the better light beers technically it is a light beer on the market which is surprising because you would think as a stout very heavy cream like presence that it would be you know caloric in its content but it's not it's a light beer 
So yeah, this is. A, I, I actually kind of am sad that I gave it a three seven five on Tantrum. I, I know bump, it's. It, I would probably now bump it up to a four after yeah, having another I, one. I like it quite a bit. I like the dryness of it. Um, I think it's the best balanced beer out of the pack that we've had so mm-hmm. far. Um, I would have to really compare it to the Foreign Extra because it's been a while since I've had a Foreign Extra. So comparing the original and the Foreign Extra, I don't know what would happen. Well, maybe if you give the old rubby rubby and squeezy squeezy, you know, you'll, <laughs> I'll get one of those out get, of it. You can get one of those. <laughs> but uh, yeah, surprisingly, um, I I think this pack is really good because Guinness is sticking to their wheelhouse. They're not trying anything really crazy over the top. They're really sticking to the stout formula uh and you'll notice that all of these beers have the same malt body the roasted malts they all taste very similar they just have those very minute changes to the stout that make it you know the variation on a theme and i think that's interesting because we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast we're not going to fault guinness for having the same like taste within all of their beers, because that's the same idea as an IPA An IPA, no matter who makes it has the same, you know, thematic idea behind it. Very hoppy, um, you know, hoppy presence, limited malts, somewhat carbonated, you know, and citrusy. And that's the idea behind a, a IPA. And the same thing is true of, Guinness's stouts, and I like that they don't change the formula up so much that, you know, a stout becomes indistinguishable, or that a stout becomes so crazily different that you don't even notice that it's a stout anymore. Well, when you got it right, you got it right. That's and right. kind of tweak yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But, so No, I, I would recommend actually picking this up while it's still out. Um, I hope, I really do hope the original becomes a staple. Yeah, that it's around more Keep- often. Pick it up like like the extra and the foreign are now available. You know they're available. You can get a four pack of the foreign extra. Uh, it's still kind of hard to find. It is hard here. to find, but the you extra can stout, get you, it. the extra stout, you can find. But the foreign extra is kind of uh, at least around here. I don't know how it is elsewhere, but at least around here. And Grand, we live in the middle of butt fuck nowhere in the right. in the boonies. So um, it would be great to be able to find the Guinness original like the extra stout. You I would know, love, a, yeah, I would love to see it or something like that. Oh, because it's so light. It has to be at least a six pack. True, six or twelve. But no, because I, I would get this. This like if I'm in the mood for a stout, I would get this. It's a, like I said, this is a a terrific beer. And I, like I said, if you are out like at the bar and it's Christmas time and you want something heavier and heartier, and you you know this was on tap, this would be a delightful beer to have. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely delightful. And I'll use that word enough. Delightful. That's true. All right, let's move on to Leprechaun 3. We spent enough time on beers. All right, so Leprechaun. Leprechaun 3. To be exact. Obviously, it does have Warwick Davis in it. Warwick Davis comes back. Which, I mean, if you can say one thing about the Leprechaun series, it's that at least they were consistent in getting Warwick Davis. Well, I mean, that's the whole crux. If you don't have Warwick Davis, you don't have Leprechaun series. Yeah, I would say, like, I guess... If you didn't have Warwick Davis, there's no point in making a Leprechaun movie. And that, so that it begs would be, the question, why did they do Leprechaun Origin? It would be like doing Nightmare on Elm Street without uh, Robert England. Oh, wait. They did that. They did. They did. They did a remake of it, but... I wish we did. For remake a week. Check it out. It's called a plug. 
But <laughs> I do at least appreciate that Warwick Davis did come back because when you get into these sequels, it's pretty common to have the main villain not be the same person. Same. Well, in Leprechaun's case, you definitely need the same person to play Mask. He's got sort of a, you know, basically all he's got is, for his costume is like green paint, yeah. really. And some, I mean, you're kind of already <laughs> limited right there to your. To you. At the time, if, um, what's his name from really working on films at that point? I think he's even shorter than Warwick Davis. Yeah. So, I, I would say that throughout the Leprechaun series, at least Warwick Davis, he... It's a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, but I, I would say, I would argue that he is at least, like, along for the ride and just, you know, saying lines. Well, he's the lead, though. He's the re- fans of the franchise. It would have to be because of Warwick Davis. Then, like, I'm a fan of his work in the, this series and just how goofy and... No. Because of Warwick Davis. There's really no other reason to. Um, ridiculous Leprechaun can get. Because post-Leprechaun 1... Leprechaun 1 is pretty fucking crazy. That's like... I mean, granted, I guess the the one would be crazy slasher film. But really, like, the first one... Compared, it's kind of the same thing with Leprechaun. Like, yeah, it's goofy and over the top and stupid and campy. But then the seek the rails. No, no, you don't even know. Yeah, I yeah, I, I guess that would be a good comparison. A serious approach to there's this kid who owns a... And then, you know, from there, they get more corny. They get more cheesy. Uh, they add a lot more jokes to it. They give Brad Dourif uh, a lot more to work with. And as a character, has always been somewhat cheesy and jo- well. When he's s- you know, speaking, jokey. Tamar, like rhyming every sentence, you know. There's little that you can do to not make that. Wow, we finally got around to full ex- circle. Yeah. Well, not just the music too, but the fact that they both speak. Warwick Davis is a good, you know, a good premise. He requested a salary increase based on everything they has to do in this film. The actual screenplay that was written by uh, David Dubois on that one. Um, that screenplay asked goofier than the, the original Leprechaun or Leprechaun 2. I would say more than the original film. They're, they're, they're just not that funny. And is that everything is set in Vegas. So... Leprechaun 3 kind of of you know having a having a magician a um, pawn shop I can name you know Tales from the Crypt uh Friday the 13th the series and I don't I don't know why but it was a very common I'm sure occurrence. there's a, a are you afraid of the dark episode exactly so and I think they could have went longer with that and I think the Elvis impersonator was a very have the leprechaun like you know get dressed up like Elvis and like imitate him after like killing Elvis no he just runs into an Elvis and that's it yeah and it's like oh that went nowhere that bit was pointless you just but I, we saw that in the script and he was like triple the salary <laughs> right there I have to hurry for this one uh you know this is leprechaun three we'll, we're gonna triple it uh, themes of like what you would think of. When you think of Vegas, casinos, magicians, thing, you know, Rick to come out and be like when the, in the beginning, the guy, I want a thousand dollars. Like, I'm like, you know what? 
you know, I'm not really sure, you know, and then have like, imagine that, this was made today, Leprechaun in 2018 in Vegas, I don't know what to make of this, uh, I know a guy who knows a guy, I'll bring that guy in here and he can tell me a little bit more about the, yeah, it's just a statue, it's, you know, it's a thing, um, yeah, and then walk off and fucking hate that show. I think that, you know, <laughs> Leprechaun 3, what the word, from the, the soundtrack, which often sounds like a 90s, yeah. There's the one bit that sounded like it was like, like a, a... Yeah, like a... Sort of like a... T- ace. Uh, sound like a... I can't remember where there was being played, but there was like a song that reminded me... I think it was again. actually in the uh, striptease moment when uh, the main... Um, Tammy, perfect name for a... <laughs> is doing a striptease for her boss, uh, the, the, you know, the, the casino boss. But I think... Leprechaun 3 is a perfect encapsulation of everything that you would get from a 90s. Cheesy sort of synth synth score music. Um, you get a, boobs in this film are pretty much a driving force. I, I really do wish a countdown to uh, Tammy's cleavage. There is so, a many, lo- so many shots of, you know, uh, I would almost say, like, um... Like, stereotypical, like, Japanese, like, bunny girl outfit singlet, you know, like, with perky, and then, like, they wear, like, the little bunny ears. You know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, like, I know like, what you're like, talking like about, Like, the late yeah. 80s and early 90s, wearing sometimes this Miami Vice, like, white linen jacket over a little bit, and so she's bending over, and you're like, get you're right there, there's the cleavage, that's, you know, that's yeah, what we a, need. It's a big cleavage, and that's part of the, uh, the compelling <laughs> nature of the, with, um... Tammy's predicament, but it, it's also part of the, acted on by a wish by her boss who, com, you know, compels her to part of it. So yes, like cleavage in general in this film is really like any, it's mostly a tease too, because Leprechaun for her, for, uh, we got somebody Lee else Armstrong, they, you never get that, but consider probably perhaps an actual stripper in on Vegas strip. Um, yeah. Which is great. She looked like she... It's 1995 when this movie came out, but you know it's like probably shot in 94. She looks like she came out of like 87, 88 with that like... Just like this outfit she's wearing. Like it totally looks like she came out of like an 80s like poor... That's true. Hilarious. That's true. <laughs> now, Leprechaun 3 was... Dress Smith is... Even though I'm sure he's a great guy, uh, he's pretty much known um, and and films that really aren't well known for their... They're group. Uh, one of them that really sticks out to me is Turkey Shoot, um, film and what I would call Ozploitation film because it was an Australian Aussie, picture. Aussie. Quite a few of these of these uh, types of films, like Leprechaun Three, where the franchise itself and kind of banking on this is a direct video. It was yeah. Not so, only that, it was the highest. Gro- <laughs> Obviously, direct-to-video films were pretty, were getting pretty big and still prevalent today. I actually saw one um, yesterday at Target that made me upset. It was Lion King. Really? So we we want to, you're doing, and they, like, they have them all, like, happy and go lucky and whatnot. It's like, yes, let's have a children's cartoon film be about a regicide. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> it's, it's forget just, about it's what happened in the, in that, the a tragic Hero. Anti- yeah, yeah. Tragic anti-hero. Um, set in Vegas has a very sp- 
scattered. When you compared it to a sitcom, it's pretty spot on because the way it's shot and like, tr- like shop and constantly throughout the film, it's constantly transitioning back to the pawn shop. Like it's like Rose got like the painted backdrop, you know, right? Like the matte painting type thing where it's like and then then you actually go into the interior because they couldn't afford the actual exterior shot of a pawn shop. Yeah, it is. It is very much sitcom esque because of the way that it does transition between each of the film. You'll have our main character Scott. And then you'll have the pawn shop owner who's being, you know, kind of a random magician guy who's really not important to the plot line at all. Who we see, like, breaks itself down into these three avenues. And, and the and the, like, the settings are either the pawn in in general and then, like, the Lucky Shamrock Casino. That's it. It's just literally bouncing from the... Interesting, too, that they decided to do this because, like, if we're talking about the opening moments where Trick is going on with an audience in Vegas and Scott is, like... What's he and even eventually, there for? And eventually getting to the Lucky Shamrock. Like, the whole idea takes attention out of, for one thing, Leprechaun attacking the pawn shop owner because it's broken up so often. stone. Yeah. Because he's, he's a stone statue and the guy brings him into the pawn shop and he just says, first I thought it was the one protagonist's like uncle or whatever the fuck he was from the second one, but I forgot. I was ending, which I don't even remember how he got gets defeated and what happens to him at the end of two. I know the first one, he got blown up or some shit. So then how did he like get come, you know, get reincarnated and turn into stone? What's it do? What's it called? It's just, I don't know, random MacGuffin that's just kind of there. Don't worry about it. So it's back. So it's just happening for the sake of happening. Yeah. And Scott, we go to Scott, and he's just driving in Vegas on this, uh, you know, the <laughs> shoulder of the road with her beetle broken down. Swerves like an asshole off the road, and then they, you know, go. But you did it. Huh? There's a chance meeting there. Yeah. 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 It's pretty much every '90s meeting scene. Cars, and he's like, oh yeah, let me check, the, you know, your car, and. Stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure most people know Beetle as you know rear engine, his engine, he, her engine, possibly even though she wouldn't know. And he's like explaining like pistons and rods care about that stuff. And she's like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, what's fun about um Scott as a character? 90s film. He's retarded, an idiot. I laugh and not know what like because <laughs> he's such like a because he's not like a he's not like a surfer stoner. I don't know the suspenders. That maybe when he gets turned into Leprechaun or, you know, Larry, he's like, I'm not. The hair, the yeah, parted. He's got, he's got the, the hair. That 90s parted hair bangs, which we don't, I, we don't know what the. Of hair and the, the guy with this mannerism is the friend to the main character. Well, well, there's a better 90s film that kind of gets into that. You might have heard of it. Into the, the guy that she wants. And it's because of, like, little boy to... Man who's conquered a leprechaun, you know, because that always very uh, generic, especially for a '90s film. It's it's you know you get Extended. tales from the crypt episode that's like been run out for way too long, <laughs> but just run out a bit too long. Yeah, but this isn't executed well at all. Yeah, probably a bit more fun than Leprechaun Two, just because it really does. It it's obvious that Leprechaun Three doesn't tip because like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, we're in Vegas now, like you know. We've run out of ideas. What do we do? He literally, like, he's the, the, uh, his own bad news, really. I didn't say that in the first two films, because the whole crux of the first two films, too, is someone's still got a piece of... Kind of backfires on the user, because 
eventually Warwick Davis is going to come to collect on that wish, and it's going to be an ironic way that it uh, that it give a creative spin on the wishes. So you Massacre Two and Leatherface, um, who shows up here and they kind of give mom from Matilda with that she, hair and that you know leopard, she, like, she, that leopard print she shirt. Almost, she, Yes, like you know yeah. I mean? like Roz Ups, from yeah. New Year's Evil, because you know which we covered it about New York City slangy style to it, and you as know, if accent. she's been, been through the eighties. Yeah, I mean, uh, at that point, she really does seem like that as Loretta again, and she, it's totally out of the nineties with, with that Caesar haircut. Like all I could think of was like Gladiator. Caesar came like ha, 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 thumbs up, and then yeah. being like. <laughs> Thumbs yeah, down. I mean, that curtain she was wearing. <laughs> I think that the idea, the creativity behind it is how does the leprechaun have magic to make her boobies and butt be big and, and swell up and then blow up? But I think that it's at least creative. It's at least in in the same. Yeah. Very, very similar to that idea. And um, I do like that Leprechaun 3 at least expands its um its storyline a little bit to incorporate some creativity to it. So because it's set in Vegas, it does give, you know, what I would consider like Irish lore and do the whole Vegas shtick. All these, I say that's the one, that's the one that I th- thought was clever and funny. And I thought it was funny when he played by his intestine. He's kind of like, he didn't say it, it would have been great though. If he's like, ta-da, right. You know, yeah. but he kind of plug in chainsaw too. Yeah, just yeah totally exactly. Yeah. I, an electric chainsaw. So, yeah, you could find an outlet out there. I tried, tried, you know, I think those are the best moments, though. The best moments where you have um, you have Leprechaun, like really capitalizing on the creativity of this of this time, of you know of the film really getting into the creativity of what Leprechaun can do, of the ma- magic that he has at his disposal. You have that, and so. I, I think that's a, a, probably a, mo- the most prominent part of Leprechaun 3. Whereas Leprechaun 2 was very generic. It really did the same things as Leprechaun 1. It didn't really... Just made it goofier. Yeah, it just made it like a little bit more comical. And I would say even that comicalness didn't really add to the, to the impact of the entertainment value of the film. It was very much a dry film. I don't know how much... It, it's really surprising that Leprechaun did have so many sequels because as a whole, I don't think that Leprechaun as a character is really that interesting. The The idea behind him is very much generically set up that he wants his gold and he's going to go out of his way to find it if he ever loses it. So the I, that idea is really um, not very stimulating. So it is interesting that Leprechaun 3 at least finds a way to make it somewhat exciting. Well, I, I will say, though, you're heaping praise on it for being creative, for doing the 90s cliche of being set in Vegas. As I said earlier, it's very underutilized. There could, you could have done so much more that it had to deal with, like, Vegas. And they don't go that route. Like, just imagine him, like, killing somebody and then, like, dancing with showgirls on stage or something. Or having, like, a famous, like, Vegas-type celebrity. Like, I mean, they probably couldn't afford the likes of, like, Frank Sinatra. But like could, Wayne Newton. I mean, Vegas Vacation would do that later. But you could, like, you know, do something like that. You yeah, know, and or, have, like, like, they and do like a, make the reference to uh, Siegfried and Roy, right? Like, the hmm. magician himself, 
is meant to be a Siegfried and Roy stand-in where he's wearing the sort of cape that Mm. you would see Siegfried and Roy wear. So they do realize the reference to it, but they don't... Go the full. Yeah, exactly. There's not, like, the commitment to that idea. Like like I said, it'd be so much better. Like, they have, like, stereotypical, like, mobster, like, for, like, the casino owner. But, like, you know, you go, like, the whole route. Have, like, actual mobsters in there. Have, like, the leprechaun, like, impersonate that. Go, like, the whole, like, him, like, imitating, like, Frank Sinatra or something like that. Or, you know, Dean Martin. Go that. Go the full route. If you're going to do the whole Vegas cliche, go the whole way and be so exploitative about it that, you know, no one else is going to be able to top it. Because, like I said, like, the whole Elvis impersonator thing, it's totally a missed opportunity. It's just Elvis shows, impersonator shows up in a limo. He goes, how's it going? And then Leprechaun does, like, another impersonation of uh, Elvis. Like, that's pretty good. Don't do that for free. Thank you very much. Yeah. And they do, like, you know, his little hip dance, and they go. It's stupid. And, like, a little quip about, oh, my shoes. Are they blue suede? Come on, I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. You, like, like, it's, like, totally, that whole th- by the time that scene's over with where he was dealing with the Elvis impersonator, it was a waste of two and a half minutes. That's true. It's true. <laughs> and a lot of this film feels like a waste. There's a lot of elements to it that doesn't really add up to a plot, per se. I would say, like, the whole magician element really doesn't need to be here. It's um, it's an additional storyline that really doesn't have any bearing on the rest of the plot. The the it's one there for a gay joke. That's it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and and the one thing that it really, the only thing that it does is add some filler in between when Scott becomes, you know, he first gets bitten by Leprechaun and then he becomes a Leprechaun himself. There's there's just filler there to fill the void between, you know, like we can't have him become a Leprechaun right at the like second act of the film. So we have to kind of extend this out a little bit and also increase the kill count. I think that's part of it is that we have to have more characters than really are necessary just so that we can increase the kill count and make sure that we get a lot of, Mm. you know, creative kills on screen at one time. I think that like, how do you feel about the, the whole leprechaun, you know, zombie bite scenario? Stupid. It's it's very it's, it's introduced here for the first time. We've never not seen even it explained. It's not even explained. He because he the leprechaun. I mean, you had to kind of explain. Cause I didn't really pay attention to see, but because he constantly throughout the first two films is biting people's toes and, and ears and shit, you yeah. know, to maim them, and nothing happens to him. But here he bites Scott on the arm, and then also apparently because. Uh, when S- Scott stabs him in the eye, and the leprechaun's blood gets him, and I'm oh, it's like zombie magic. He turns into a leprechaun himself, slowly but surely. Yeah, it's a, it's an intro. Which again, to which that is like idea again, we- it's like underdeveloped and underutilized. It's just kind of like yeah, kind of cramming it at the end, and we've never seen it before for sure. It's it's definitely here just because that works for the film itself, and and that's it. It's like a new dynamic to the leprechaun idea rather than you know going off of the same same themes of like leprechaun loses gold a person finds the gold and leprechaun comes to get it back at least here there is that change up a little bit that you have a character who actually turns into a leprechaun kind of um you know predicated on the fact that our main character sees 
a very outdated 90s computer software. It's basically like a version of the Encyclopedia Britannica that you would have on CD. That, With audio quality yeah, that is ridiculous for 1994. That shows that you, you know, it gives you a whole Irish folklore mythology. Not only that, I love it. too that the pawn shop broker just happens to have in his pawn shop, uh, fl- you know, floppy disk thing, fucking to plug right on in. Just, of an Irish folklore uh, Well, it's just, it's just general folklore. It's not um, myths and folklore is what it's called. And you can just type in... You know, the subject of matter. And it loads instantly and you get clear audio of, you know. It's great. It's absolutely great. It's stupid. but Ugh. It works for the time period, I guess. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I fo- Only our computers then were that good. I know. Um, Let's I, talk about the acting. Yeah, the acting is a, a problematic experience. <laughs> so what did you think? Well, I I would say that probably um, not yeah. judging Warwick Davis. Yeah, as I said before, because Warwick Davis is probably the the highlight. Because for sure. I can tell you right now, if you've seen any of the Leprechaun films, Warwick Davis is pretty consistent. Yeah, he's Warwick Davis as the Leprechaun. Not really um, much more you can really add to it. Yeah, I would. So say- if you as if you listen to our first two reviews, then you know. It's pretty much the same. It's the same goddamn thing. Yeah. Which, to his credit, that's all is needed of the character. Yeah, I would say, you know, for the rest of the, the cast, um, John Gaddens, unfortunately, this is probably, I think this is one of his only acting credits. He's mostly more of a screenwriter. And good for him. He went on to do a lot better things after Leprechaun 3. He um, wrote a couple of different films, like, uh, Kong Skull Island co-wrote that. Um, he co- he wrote the uh, Emmy-nominated Flight Academy Award, Aca- Academy Award-winning um, nominated Flight, and a few other films uh, within Hollywood that actually became pretty big budget films. Norbit. Yep. <laughs> Some of the Eddie Murphy films. Um, but he's but, done well writing. Yeah, exactly. You know. Unfortunately, you know his his early days. He was relegated to roles like this in Leprechaun 3 where he didn't really get a chance to shine in. And really, clearly, his yeah. acting is not his strong suit. Fucking terrible. Yeah, he he's not good. And he's not even, like, so bad it's funny. Like, he's just bad. Yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, he... I, I don't know why... There was the uh, maybe it was just a breakout thing where he was like you know I'll do some acting. I think for it's a like while a second or third role that he had. Yeah, it's it's just not not his strong suit and in acting here you know it's not a not a good example of what he literally can do. not just like Ugh, it's like you're like pulling at your collar like, Ugh, like, I, like I believe that he learned a lot on Leprechaun Three about like how not to write a script and stuff <laughs> like that. And so, you know, he went on to, to write big, bigger and better things. But, yeah, for for acting here, he he's not the strong part of He's of not likable at all. Yeah. He's not likable. He's such a god, like, he's just such a goddamn geek. And not like, you know, like, a, oh, he's such, what a lovable geek. He's literally like, oh, you're, it's pathetic. And just, like, idiotic, like. Like, he loses all his money at the casino playing roulette. Like, by the, by the way, because he's 18 in this. Because he's not supposed to be 
in their gambling. Well, mm-hmm. actually, no, he's got to be younger than 18 because uh, he can gamble at 18. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be younger than 18, which he doesn't look like he's younger than 18. He doesn't even look like he's younger than 21. So, huh, you know, funny film. Um, but no, like, so he gambles all like $23,000, which he has a check for, which I don't remember catching for why he has a check for $23,000. Like is it was supposed to be like inheritance from a grand like parent or something? Well, funny fact, it was signed by the director Brian Trenchard Smith. That that I can tell you breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, man. but no. So like I don't know. Like he had the check, but then he loses at the roulette table. He's like, oh no, what do I do? I just lost all my money. And the lady's like, come on, you're gonna have good luck. You'll have good luck. You'll have good luck. Why don't you put that watch? Why that nice watch? She's like, oh okay, I'll go pawn my grandfather's watch. Like come on. You're 17 or whatever the fuck, you know, you're smart enough by that point to know, like, probably after you lose, like, you have $23,000, you lose, like, $5,000, like, maybe I should stop. Yeah. Probably, yeah, because at that time, $23,000 is the most you've ever seen in your life. That's it. You know, that's that's high-stakes gambling right there. And not only that, especially, like... It's like no secret now that like gambling at the casino, like you're kind of you're, it's a losing game. You're a fool. The house does always win. Yeah. Rarely are you going to come out. That's why they make money. You know. That's why I like the fact that he's sitting there playing roulette. It's like you're an idiot. Out of all the games you could pick to play, you know. That's why I love in Vegas vacation when like you know <laughs> they go to like the one dollar tables and shit or whatever with uh, Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase like. You can play war at a casino. That's what I would do. You have better odds at winning at war than you do at that fucking roulette. Yeah, just, a, just a waste. Yeah, absolutely. At least, like, it's the same thing, too. Like, like pick blackjack. At least blackjack it has little, you know, strategy involved. I mean, it's still very luck-based. But, I mean, like, roulette's literally just luck. Just get lucky. Yeah. Put money on, like, a color or a number and pray to and God. that it comes up. Yeah. yeah. Now, Lee Armstrong is really in this film for one sole reason, and that is her boobies. Uh, other than that, there's really... I mean, I, I don't think she's a bad actress in this film. I don't think that there's any, you know... she Very she, similar to the heroine from Leprechaun 2. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, um, you know, a matter of, like, she's a very interchangeable heroine. Uh, now I re- know what her, her acting performance, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Winona Ryder in Mr. Deeds. Okay. When she's playing, like, the... You know, trying to woo Adam Sandler, like the, oh, yeah, wow, golly gee, I'm from, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kings, you know. To me. Bullshitville or whatever. That's that's what she sounds like when she's, like, talking. She's like, I don't know, Scott, should we do this? This seems weird. And so she said, you know, that's, it took me for, it literally took me just until now to, like, pinpoint that. That's what, like, the acting, like, kind of reminds me of this is, like, her. Her doing like Winona Ryder and Mr. Deeds, but not nearly as good. To me, Lee Armstrong really reminds me of a cross between Melissa Joan Hart, especially in the beginning when you see her. In the, yeah, see her pre-magician uh, assisted outfit when she's just standing on the side of the road hitchhiking. She yep. really does look like, like what happened to Clarissa. She got kicked out of the house, and she's just you know. Yep, the cross between her and and Heather Graham, because Heather she she has that same sort of. Um, like well, dopiness as Heather Graham, mm-hmm. so and that's intentional. I mean that that's what they're in going for in the movie. So maybe, maybe a little Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, yep. And so you know, I don't. I think that she would be perfect for ninety five. That's true. She gets across what you're looking for in that character, whether 
that's actually like what you want out of that. I don't know, but I think she does a, a an okay job. I mean, it's what's ex- expected of her for that character. Um, she's literally there because the moral of the story is boobs save the day, pretty much, and and that you'll get <laughs> boobs if you if you save save people. You know, basically, if you save the girl, you get the boobs. That's that's what that's what it's there for. So you, and you, it, you wanted to count how many times the cleavage shots occurred because they were so numerous. You couldn't yeah. stop. Like literally, she like they like constantly had her, like bending over in spots, like you yeah. know, for no reason. Just so it's like, come on, Tammy, gotta, come on, Lee, you gotta show show a little cleavage here. Come on, you know, well, this movie ain't gonna be making you know money. I guarantee this whole movie. Um, was the top grossing direct video movie of the year because you got a scene of a, you know, the stripper hopping out of the TV with, you know, just boobies hanging out, you know, for reals, you know, just because of that. That's it. Yeah. Probably made a lot of, you know, 11 year old boys very confused at first and <laughs> learned something new about themselves. Other than that, there's not really anybody else in the film that's of substance besides John Demita, who plays that um, magician character. Fazio, Fazio, and um, Fidelio, and and uh, I mean, really, he's just there to ham it up. So, I, I would Michael say, McDonald, but not Michael McDonald. Yeah, I would, I would say that, like you know, the acting's is is fine, but again, it really is reminiscent of what you would see from like a '90s sitcom on TV, where you have a lot of guest characters that show up real quick. You have like that twenty seconds of the audience recognizing the char- the actor and being like, oh. And then clapping. This movie does yeah, need a laugh track. Yeah, that's basically it. This yeah. thing should have had like a laugh track right at the beginning. Like this movie was filmed in front of a studio audience, audience live. You know. Yeah, that's a, essentially what Leprechaun Three is. Um, would have been great if like the opening literally was like, like after like he kills somebody, like everywhere you look. Yeah, you know, like do something like nineties like that. Be great. And you know, beat beat too many cooks to the punch. And, and other than that, I really don't have much to add about Leprechaun 3. I mean, it's very by-the-books generic. It does have a couple of creative kills, especially, like, you know, incorporating some of the Vegas acts within it. But other than that, it's very... I think, too, they st- kind of copped a lot of the effects looks from, like, Troll 2. Sure, yeah. I mean, the lepre- the whole Leprechaun look is straight out of, like, both Troll 2 with the green blood and then also, like, like any Teen time, Wolf. Like, like, it's just weird. Like, it's almost... Because I don't remember the first two films, like, them focusing on, like, he's got green shit and green blood. And it's like, they do here, like, he's got green shit and green blood and stuff. And it's like, look, why don't you set him off to Nilbog then? You yes. know, just have him go right on down the Nilbog. That'd be a pretty fun crossover. crossover. It's just Leprechaun, like, Leprechaun and Nilbog. Yeah. Yeah, because... That's Troll, it, Troll it, too. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It, they could definitely do it. Probably be, probably the best film out of the franchise. Well, I can tell you what the next uh, uh, Leprechaun film is going to be. What's that? It's going to be um, Leprechaun, what is it? The, the, the seven now? It'd be up to seven? Yeah. Because four is in space yeah. and five. No, no, it'd be eight. I mean, it would technically be, be eight. Because Origins is seven. So Leprechaun eight would be Carl Pilkington in uh, Ireland. Rick, Ricky, Ricky Gervais and Sky Sky TV are like, all right, listen, Carl, we haven't done this show in a while. So what we're going to do is we're going to send you to fall off exotic place. Carl's like, oh no, what's so what's going on? Leprechaun. We're going to send you over to Ireland. Meet your meet your friend Warwick Davis. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of great. 
you know, like Ricky Gervais laughs, and then he's like, what am I going to Ireland for? And then he goes there, it's just Warwick Davis running around as Leprechaun, and he's like, oh, this is just terrible, I don't know what, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That's a, that's an idiot abroad reference. In, in idiot abroad, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just, there you go. Call it idiot idiot abroad. Leprechaun eight. <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch it because Carl Pilkington is magic, absolute magic. Idiot abroad is hilarious, and the Ricky Gervais podcast was absolutely uh. Oh yeah, Stephen Merchant. There we go. Yeah, that's the that's him. Voice so, of Wheatley in uh. And Portal 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to give uh, Leprechaun 3 a, a rating? No. <laughs> well, I'm thinking out of 10 electric chainsaws. I would give it non-NA, non-applicable. Really? And then it ended at that, huh? <laughs> no, I, I'll give it a... I'll give it a 4 out of 10. This is a, this is a hard film to watch. I think it gets better as it goes on. As things start moving, but it takes a fucking ice age to get moving. It's literally the first 30 minutes are just spent bouncing from the pawn shop and the casino floor and what's going on there. It's only like an hour and 25 minute film. So like a third, over a third of the film is like dedicated to like bouncing back from the, like we spend way too much time in the beginning at the pawn shop and getting the whole premise and idea set up. Um, overall, the premise is stupid. They don't, utilize Vegas to its fullest potential at all. And I don't know if that's like a script thing or they just don't like, look, we can't really do Vegas any justice because we don't have the budget for it. I, I don't know, but it's like, it's literally like one of the weakest throwing into ve- being in Vegas. I've seen in a film. Um, Warwick Davis is all right. I personally, as we re- reviewed before, I really don't like the leprechaun film. So his, his acting I, though proficient, I wouldn't say is anything I would write home about because I don't like Leprechaun as a character. I think the idea is stupid, and I don't f- find it to be entertaining and amusing. So the fact that it's you know like a comical thing, like at least Chucky, I find kind of comical, and I find his one-liners to be you know a little bit funnier and have a little bit more zing and pep to it than Warwick Davis's. You know, and that's not and it's not his fault because it's the writing's fault. Like his, I think his one-liners and rhyming's kind of you know off kilter. Like, half the time his shit doesn't even rhyme. Or yeah. ri- at least rhyme well. Um, and the casting's terrible. The music, you know, especially, especially uh, the guy who plays Scott. Um, what's his name again? Um, is John Gattins. Yeah, John Gattins. Thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he found better work as a screenwriter and yeah, director. Sure. Because uh, he absolutely terrible. Um, Lee Armstrong, I thought she was fine, but that's just mainly because I was distracted by her boobs and cleavage. Mm, you know, that might upset some people, but like, hey, I mean, <laughs> can't do anything about that. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I'd probably give it a, like, uh, I'll be a little generous and give it a five out of ten. Only because I do find it a little bit entertaining, especially in the creativity department. Um, I think they did get a little creative with, you know, sort of like the wishmaster elements to it that, you know, people make wishes and then they have the the consequences of those wishes that kind of match up with what they wished for. Um, so that that works, I think. It has, you know, I wouldn't say it's good special effects, but it, they are at least... Competent? Yeah, creative and competent. Um, Especially for the budget. I don't think that a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the jokes land. 
Um, Warwick Davis's jokes, like you said, they they tend to not land more than they do because of the way that they're written and that they don't often rhyme. Or if they do rhyme, they don't really tend to make sense. Like it's like a random rhyme that doesn't really have anything to do with like the end part of the limerick. Um, so I would say that like the comedy is often forced, um, and the acting is really leaves a lot to be desired, but there is some, it's not, like I said, it's, the acting too is not even really in like, Oh, it's so bad. It's awesome. It's literally just bad. Right. And I would say, you know, in, in the scheme of things, I probably like Leprechaun three a bit more than Leprechaun two. Um, I don't even remember what I gave Leprechaun 2. Yeah, I don't remember I'm either. assuming it'd probably be around a 4. <laughs> I think I like Leprechaun 3 a bit more than I like Leprechaun 2, but, you know, perhaps that's just the creative element of it. Well, um, looking back now, Leprechaun 1's looking like a... Like a... Shining... Yeah. You know, the, the shining star on the hill. But I would say that, you know, Leprechaun 3, I wouldn't really recommend to anybody. I wouldn't say, you know, go out of your way to see it. Well, what do you do after, you know, you go to Vegas? Yeah. What do we do? What do you do once you go to Vegas? You watch Leprechaun 3. No, I'm saying, what do you do once you go to Vegas in a film franchise? You go to space. You go to space! You go to space. Yeah, from here we we get Leprechaun 4 in space, and then you go to the hood. Twice. Twice. (laughs) Um, Those will be coming. Yeah, we'll we'll do those for the next (laughs) St. Paddy's Days. but, But Leprechaun 3... I would say is though serviceable serviceable as a sequel is just not really you know it 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 is a a bad film it's a mi- and like it's you- not even you know it, I wouldn't call it one of those so bad it's good films it's it's not enjoyable in that sense it is obvious that it's really not even trying to be a good film it's it's more so just capitalizing on the sequel element of Leprechaun and then kind of trying to emphasize the ridiculous elements of the previous films it's like you said it's amazing that they got as many sequels out of this it is it it really is it is it's surprising because i just yeah i did i'm flummoxed and flabbergasted right now just kind of thinking about it like wow (laughs) somebody greenlit like six sequels yeah i would almost say after the third one okay we're done we're done yeah (laughs) That's it. Call it a day. Pack it up, boys. <laughs> We've taken this as far as we can go. Well, you have to at least hit the uh, four-leaf clover. So you got to have four sequels. Uh, what's our next film on the agenda? Hmm. Well, we did <sighs> skip out on the Western that we... Oh, never mind. I was going to say Infinity War, but that's late April. That's late April. So... I'm thinking we do the western that we we put off last last time. Go back to the roots. That's right. Yeah, we we do the western. You know, it's funny. I was watching the trailer to Day of Anger the other day. Yeah, it's great. I love it because it was just just literally like the silhouette f- pictures, like set to like random vibrant colors of Lee Van Cleef and the Italian leading man with the nice, you know, any Morricone like esque you know soundtrack that's and why you gotta have you gotta have lee van cleef in every western that you great. do it was great made, made me want to rewatch it like we'll do we'll do a western next time i don't know which one yet but we'll we'll pick a we'll pick a good western i think that's the that's the uh 
the idea because we didn't do it the last time, even though we promised that we would. And so, well, is it going to be spaghetti western? Or? Yeah, I think so. Probably, mm. probably spaghetti western. Um, we'll set four hours of your time aside. Yeah, that's right. And, and we'll uh, we'll finally do a fistful of dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, you can- not saying that's the next one. Could be, but it could be, but it may not be. <laughs> Haven't announced it yet. Uh, so you can find us on um, iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcasting app. Are we on Spotify yet? We are on Spotify as well. Yep. Uh, so you can find us on Spotify. Uh, we have our main Podbean page at Blood and Black Rum Podcast.podbean.com. Uh, make sure you leave a review for any of those sites that you frequent uh, because it does help us get found. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. Um, and then we do have a patron page. Uh, you do get access to our episodes at least one day early. So make sure you check that out and, and donate at least a dollar to us. And, and that'll get you an episode a day early. So you can get all of the Blood and Black Rum podcast goodness uh, one day early. Other than that, we hope to see you next time for our Western-themed episode. Uh, we're not sure which one we're going to do yet, but we definitely will do a Spaghetti Western for the next episode. So make sure you stay tuned. We'll see you in two weeks, and thank you for listening. Have a happy St. Patty's Day after the fact, because <laughs> we are way past St. Patty's Day. Take care.